0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Good to see everyone. Um, See all your shiny faces. Um, So, we're continuing on with the life of Christ. Today we're talking about tradition, looking at Matthew 15. So, as before we get started here, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to have a musical interlude to start out.
1: How do we keep our balance, that I can tell you in one word, tradition. <laughs> Of our traditions. We've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything how to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our tradition, Every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. One day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children, send his daily bread, and who has a right as master of the house to have the final word at home? <laughs>
0: So if you've watched that movie, you know the whole idea of the fiddler on the roof is that, you know, the the fiddler is sitting on the roof, and that it's tradition that holds allows the fiddler to stay on the roof and not fall down, and it's tradition that holds society together. And then, as as you watch the, the story play out, is is this as as he starts to realize that these traditions things start to push back on him, and and they, they've had these traditions, but now they're they're not so working out or. Especially when it comes to dealing with his daughters and about who she should marry. Great musical, great song. I always, always admire that, the, you know, it's very catchy too. You're all gonna go away singing that song. You won't sing any of the songs we sang today? Sorry, Jessica, but they'll probably be singing Fiddler on the Roof on the New Way out. It's very very catchy t- tune, right? Um, but we're gonna have, there's three questions that we want to kind of address today in this passage is, why is tradition important Is tradition bad, and should tradition be followed? All right, so let's um, go to the scripture. It says, uh, Matthew 15, 1 through 20, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, Whoever, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is, now, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, this is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of the mouth from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what makes a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Help us um, as we study your word, Lord. um, uh, Open our eyes and our hearts to what you have to show us today. In your name, just we pray. Amen. All right. So um, what we have here is the whole hand-washing thing. The Pharisees come... What we have is is these Pharisees come down, teachers of the law, come from Jerusalem, which implies that they're more pious and they are due more respect. Um, You know... As i kind of co- kind of thinking through this, this is a kind of like the aristocrats coming from Jerusalem, coming down to see this hick from the sticks with his band of followers to try to figure out what is he doing, questioning why they're not washing their hands. Well, they were official. They were Maybe they weren't that clean to begin with. Um, but when they questioned Jesus about the disciples, it was more of a passive-aggressive way of accusing Jesus, because they would not have done it. Had he not instructed his followers not to wash, to, or basically tell them, "Well, you don't have to wash your hands," and so we have this. So, what is this tradition that he that they're referencing—the washing of the hands? This is more likely ceremonial than it was necessarily hygienic. Um, this involved, you know, the oral tradition that was passed down as a way to explain scripture that ended up in something called the Mishnah, which you may have heard about before. It's not. I'm not 100. Clear how the hand washing. I guess like the story he tells. A, how, where did this tradition start? I don't know. Uh, I think it had something to do about them not wanting to risk, you know, getting something unclean in, inside of them or touching them. Uh, it reminds me of the Good Samaritan, where the religious, uh, the two religious people, wouldn't go near to see if he was okay for fear he would be dead. You know, because then they would be unclean and they would have to go through the uh, the process of uh, of cleansing themselves. So, this begs the bigger question: why is tradition important? Um, So, I was thinking, uh, well, one, I think it holds us together. Um, I think about things like such as weddings, how we connect with each other, it allows life to function, we know what to expect. Now, I was thinking about this, and um, for those that are fans of Big Bang Theory, really I, mean, I really love, I like, enjoy that show, it's very funny, and it focuses, you know, focuses on Jim Parsons' character, Sheldon. And Sheldon is awkward, he's nerdy, he's socially inept, he makes people feel uncomfortable. But one of the things you learn, though, is he's been brought up and taught about social, you know, social ways of acting, right? And, and acting in certain ways, his mom brought him up, to act, you know, properly in certain situations. Um, <clears throat> in fact, interestingly enough, I have found in watching that show that he has a way, they use his character as a way of, you know, diving in deeper on our interactions as people, and, and I can kind of think, well, I haven't really thought about it that way. Well, there's a couple examples that I was going to bring up. One is, is for those of you watched it, you know what happens if you have an upset friend. What, what is, you know, Sheldon's thing if you have somebody that is upset is that, you must give them a hot beverage that is the rule that is the social norm so if somebody is upset you must give them a hot beverage and it almost doesn't matter I think in one episode all he had was a bouillon cube that he put in hot water because he must meet the social convention that says you're upset you must have a hot beverage there was another really funny episode though is when he when Penny decides to give him and Sheldon a gift and he says oh I brought over some gift and he gets very upset he goes, why would you do that? Well, she goes, well, it's Christmas. And he goes, I know you're being nice, but you don't realize you, uh, this is, you've made a binding social contract. What you've given me is an obligation. He says that now he must give a gift that is commensurate of the value of the gift she is giving, but is also reflective of their perceived friendship, right? And you think about it. That's way too much to think about it's just a gift right but the funny thing is and it's a funny episode because then he tries to go out and buy gifts he doesn't know what to buy so he buys a bunch and he leaves in his room and he's gonna like excuse himself after she gives him the gift to go get the thing that will match the value of what she gives him, which actually was priceless to him because it was a napkin that Leonard Nimoy had used and so now that you know that was like the best thing anybody could give him Um, the interesting though he is correct when we talk about gifts, particularly at Christmas, we talk about why we're giving gifts, but it's not really. We always feel that obligation. It's a gift exchange, which actually eliminates the whole idea of a gift. It's not a gift. A gift is something I give you where there's no expectation that you're going to give me something back. I mean, how many people, like I know, and I always deal with this struggle of, of, uh, you know, I've had neighbors like give gifts that, you know, they think, oh wow, do we ever talk to that neighbor? They just gave us something and we have to get something out. So you have to go out and get them a gift because you will feel bad if you don't have it, right? Um, and you know, then people get uptight too. You know, I've, I've even heard criticism of, of, of gift cards, like because that's laziness. What you should be doing is thinking through a gift that I would like be based on our relationship and find that perfect gift, right? So that's, I mean, it is a lot of pressure when it talks about gift giving. What are some other things, and I have some stuff I ended up listening, and those weren't supposed to all come at once, but <clears throat> what are some things that we have in church? Grace. We say grace before we, we eat, right? Um, this gets back to Jesus in the Last Supper. He, he, he said, you know, he thanked God before he, you know, he gave the, the, the bread and the wine. However, there's no command per se that says, Every single time you put food in your mouth, you must first thank God for it. But we do it, right? In fact, this is a tradition that transcends the church, right? If you see any movie show or anything, you go into people's home that may be not particularly religious, what do they do before Thanksgiving? They say grace, right? It's a part of our society. It's a near and dear tradition. Um, although it's not, it's not, there's no command, I wonder, I was thinking about, Seth, you mentioned the, uh, the, the meeting tomorrow night, I wonder how people would respond if before the dinner tomorrow, God, Seth gets up and goes, "God's eat, let's eat, and then he doesn't say grace, even though there's no command, right, but people would go, oh no, but Seth, you know, you know 3 Corinthians 3.16 says, thou shalt must say grace before each meal, right, then there's songs that we have this particular songs that you pick is your tradition. I remember in law school when we started doing Bible study and I always wanted to be more contemporary and and I had friends that wanted to sing boring stuff like hymns and I wanted to sing the contemporary stuff. And this was the 90s so you get it re- and I was like come into the 90s right you know let's and then they were kind of resistant. i've actually learned to respect that though i really respect everyone has a different tradition right bible versions whichever ones you pick um order of our church service can become something you know there's there's nothing in the bible that says a church service must go like this right we have we've developed traditions for church Baby dedication is something we do in our church. Other people do um, infant baptism. Doing more things at Christmas than Easter. And so I, I've kind of gone around and around on this. And I, I love Christmas time. I love all the, the, the candy and the songs and the whole thing. It's a, it's a fun time. And although I was reminded a few years back, or some years back, I would say it's been a little bit more, that, you know, Christmas um, is not our Super Bowl, right? Easter's our Super Bowl. Christmas is really just the beginning of the season and you're working towards the big prize at the end which is the Super Bowl you know Jesus dies for our sins and then he rises from the dead and in his resurrection he overcomes sin and he breaks the curse of sin I mean that's it it's all there if he doesn't do that Christmas really doesn't matter right but we make Christmas a bigger deal and there's a part of me that actually First felt guilty, but then I thought, you know, I kind of don't mind it because I would really not want Easter to become kind of a commercial, such a big commercial thing such that we would kind of forget why we do it. I mean, the the biggest thing you can do is you can buy your Easter meal from Cracker Barrel, uh, which some of you need to do because, you know, you don't have any business making uh, ham on, on Easter, right? Um, Another one, though, is is working on Sunday. Um, The traditional Sabbath, uh, really, from the Jewish perspective, was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Um, For Christians, Sabbath became the Lord's Day, which is the day he rose from the dead, which is Sunday. And we don't really even do a sundown to sundown. It's usually just Sunday. Uh, Now, in society... This became a big issue too. If you've heard of the term blue laws, we used to have these, you know, you don't really have them around it but it would limit what you were allowed to do on Sunday. And business didn't happen on Sunday, right? So we had these blue laws out there. And I used to joke with my mentor, Pastor Lawler. He I used to joke that he married a, a convicted felon because we found I found out that his wife, when she was a teenager, got convicted of one of these blue laws. And the story is is that her parents, I think, had a shop and get this she sold somebody some graph paper I know the whore selling graph paper on Sunday what they can get their homework done right and so but that's the way life was now that doesn't happen so much anymore in fact we've kind of gone the complete opposite where life is 24-7 which I don't think such a good thing either right Um, when I was in high school um, our church decided to have a church softball team and being a baseball hand. I was very excited about this they were going to play on Sundays uh, with other churches in a kind of a makeshift church league and my dad would not let me play. Um, my dad was much was felt like it was the Sabbath, it was the day of rest. You know, you shouldn't be going out to some organized event on a Sunday. You need to stay home. And I was heartbroken. I remember them people playing here, but I was just, it was just really, as a huge sports fan, I, I wanted to go. And, and I think people thought he was a bit too strict. Um, although after the first year, he kind of backed off on it, and he did let me play. But, you know, my dad came out of the, the holiness tradition. In the holiness movement, you didn't do things on Sundays. You didn't play cards because, you know, people use those to play poker. You know, you didn't hunt. You didn't fish. He's from Pennsylvania. He's from the the country, so he hunted and fished. And, uh, oh, about 30 years ago, I connected with a cousin of mine that grew up with my dad. My dad had a big family, so this cousin actually grew up as a child with my father. And he would talk about it. He's not... I don't think he's a Christian, and he really hated Sundays. He felt they were boring. And my grandfather, who was a preacher, he said he went, he was like being with Peter and Paul with him. Uh, And so they couldn't do anything. He does remember seeing my dad and his brother Sam sneaking out one time with their fishing poles to go fishing. Um, However, you know, as I say, not all tradition is bad. You know, they hold society together. We learn what to expect from each other. Um, as we can see with the musical from Fiddler, it is a tradition that holds the community together, but the musical is also about the things that push on those traditions, questioning their relevance for us now. Now, see, let's see how Jesus challenges uh, that tradition. He replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men jesus ignores the accusation about the hand-washing and turns on them and accuses them of violating the ten commandments um, let me make sure um, so <clears throat> so when you look at you know his response you'd think that why doesn't he address the specific question however when you look at the overall passage he really does he just does it in a kind of a um a different angle Jesus does this by addressing something called Corban, uh, and, and it's not that word is not used in our passage, but it's used in the Mark passage. I'm not going to read it, but you can you can you can see the word used Corban, is that is used there. And so, what is Corban? And I have a neat little diction, Bible dictionary definition of Corban for you. Uh, it says anything dedicated to the temple by pronouncing the votive word. Corbin forwith belonged to the temple, but only ideally. Actually, it might remain in the possession of him who made the vow. So a son might be justified in not supporting his old parents simply because he designated his property or a part of it as a gift to the temple, that is, as Corbin. There is no necessity of fulfilling his vow, yet he was actually prohibited from using his property for the support of his parents. Uh, so the idea is that that someone could dedicate something to God, uh, and it would be released from their commitment to their parents. Uh, the thing is that they could c- continue to use it. So I always felt like, what is this all about? I mean, that that seems kind of something wrong. Although maybe who knows? Maybe it had a, had an. Uh, I don't know the history of Corbin. I would like to think that it started from a good idea. Um, Uh, as many traditions do. Um, There was some point to it, and it made sense, I guess, at the time. Um, Although the the phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, comes to mind. Um, This begs the the second question, is tradition bad? My, My response to that is yes, when it is not consistent with scripture. So that's Here, Jesus attacks the use of Corbin because the application of it allows them to disregard a critical biblical principle. In fact, it's not just a, I mean, principle actually is not a strong enough word. I mean, this was a command, right? Honor your, this is from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is part of the Ten Commandments which is reduced down to the two greatest commandments, right? Uh, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Caring for your parents is how God wants you to function in life. So here are some examples of how traditions may go bad. Um, One is working on the Sabbath um as mentioned working on the sabbath or the sabbath had been an issue with within american culture let's look look at it how it was addressed at jesus's time it says for so this passage from mark one sabbath jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along they began to pick some heads of grain the pharisees said to them look why are you doing this what is unlawful on the sabbath he answered have you never read what david did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is, unlawful, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He says, the Old Testament did not permit work on the Sabbath. Uh, and, and over time, scribes, Actually, I got this out of my commentary. Created a list of 39 kinds of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. Number three was reaping. So you couldn't reap. And from the Pharisees' mind, what they were doing when they were walking on and picking off the heads of grains, they were reaping. Now, Jesus could have argued that picking a few heads of grain off wasn't really reaping. What's the difference between me reaching over and picking it off you know the stem right or if it's a bowl sitting on a table is that really different but he doesn't um, <clears throat> he says um he says he uh, instead he challenges the pharisees understanding of the sabbath so instead of just arguing over this minor thing he says look you've got it all wrong you're kind of missing the point he describes a time in david's uh in david's life where david and his men ate that consecrated bread this is a bread set aside for the priest People weren't allowed to eat. It. it was for the priests. They weren't supposed to eat it. But the idea was they were famished. So it was better for them to eat than die. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus then mentions that the Sabbath was made for us, not the other way around. It wasn't like God said, you know, I have this idea for a Sabbath. Who can I get to apply it to? And it's the other way around. He said, I created you, and by the way, I'm going to give you this thing called the Sabbath because it's, it's, it's good for you, something that you should do, right? He gave it to you, and he gave us the example when he rested after he created the world. What we see here is something Jesus does throughout his ministry and does in our passage well. Throughout his ministry, he challenges the Pharisees' understanding of the law, pointing out that they are often missing the point of it. Another thing is like arranged marriage, and this was the story from Fiddler that became a big issue uh, there. <clears throat> so it says, um, um, and I'll explain why, why I put that there in a second. Um, in fact, marriage by you know marriage by choice is a more recent thing. Um, as I've heard it said, is that in arranged marriage, people marry, if people learn to love the person they marry. Marriage by choice is they marry the person they love. Um, uh, in Fiddler, this is a big story. His daughters and tradition dictate that the matchmaker must find someone, and then he approves of it. Um, and, and often, um, uh, because the matchmaker will look for someone that's more stable, the husband's usually a lot older than than the than the daughter. Um, and in the music, there are many. Uh, you know, they uh, there are many songs about this. One song, the daughters are singing their concerns about their future husband. Fretting that because they are poor family, they will have few options, which was true. Uh, There's one line about one guy who is very abusive, but then they go, "Well, um, he's only mean when he's sober, and so you don't have to worry about it because he's he's never sober, right?" I I, I hesitate to make a joke about that because that's actually a bad thing, but that is one of the songs. As the story goes, one daughter wants to marry the seamstress, but he's young, he's not established. Another one wants to marry a Russian, a non-Jew. And, you know, and each time you see Tevye, the dad, kind of go through the, you know, on the one hand, and he starts to list out these things, then he goes on the other hand, there's these other things, as he struggles with this decision, you know, should I let my daughters marry this person or not, do we hang on to our traditions, or do I let my traditions go? with a high rate of divorce there was a period of time where the where people in the church really got into the whole idea of courting because for some reason people thought that somehow that was the biblical way to meet somebody uh... you had people like joshua harris write his book i kiss dating goodbye where you know he said you shouldn't date you should court then then you decide to get married And and then, sadly, like in the last five years, you know, he's kind of renounced that book and left the church and got divorced and no longer claims to no longer be a Christian. Part of the problem there was a bit of a name it and claim it kind of idea behind it. Look, if you if you follow these prescribed things, then your your marriage will be better. And that's not really how it how it works out. Um, I don't think there's one right right way to marry. I don't think the Bible dictates there's one right way to marry. Um, I think the Bible is more about stipulating what type of person you should marry. Um, and, you know, it does encourage you to seek wisdom and pray for wisdom and seek wisdom of others. And certainly, with such a huge decision, you should pray about that and seek God's wisdom in that decision. But not to sound unromantic, you know, I like romance. I have romance in my own relationships. I've got, you know, my wife and I tell, I tell the story of how we met. And it's very romantic, all right? Um, I'm a very romantic guy. <laughs> but... In a lot of ways when i think about marriage i always think of this passage um it says here again you have heard it said to the people long ago do not break your oath but keep the oaths you have made to the lord but i tell you do not swear at all either by heaven for it is god's throne or by the earth for it is the footstool or by jerusalem for it is the city of the great king do not swear by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black simply let your yes be yes and your no be no anything beyond this comes from the evil one It's really about commitment, right? With marriage, it's about your commitment to God. And we, you know, we put a lot around marriage. You know, there's, you know, some. I think it's it's in the Catholic Church. If you don't get married to the Catholic Church, I guess you're not married. Um, And you know, I would always go back to this and go, yeah, but I I think you know, if you walked out on the street and says, "I am now married," you know, God may take your word for it. Now, I think ceremony is good ceremony is good we need to memorialize these events and everything else and I know the state of Maryland will not Maryland will not see that as a marriage you will still have to go to justice of peace or somebody else but God it's more about commitment right and we can put all these structures around it that can have a good purpose but sometimes it could take away from the importance here marriage is about a commitment in choosing to love the person you're with uh, <clears throat> And the last one, one more is meeting on Sunday mornings. We have this passage, pastors, we abide by, right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know it's going to kind of get too political, but um, as you know, during the pandemic, many churches, including ours, you know, stopped meeting in person for a month or two. I don't remember how long it was. And some people actually saw that as a big sin. Like, oh my gosh, how could you not meet together? Because you're commanded to meet together. You need to point out where that verse is to me. Um, <clears throat> however, I, I still feel like a lot of these objections more had to do with the politics and people wanted to fight the government than it was you know, really trying to follow scripture. Um, I, it, I, it, what bothers me, it's disappointing. Because I think we needed to be focusing on encouraging people and not worrying about so much of these other things. And this is the thing, though, when I think about it is, what do, think about what the term is when you say I'm a regular attender at that church what does that mean if somebody goes oh they attend regularly what does that mean when I grew up and I Jim you grew up a lot of the same way what was a regular attender when we grew up you went to church on Sunday morning you went to Sunday school you went to Sunday evening service you went to the weekly service right that was a regular attender okay what is it today right uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> you know that's our traditions it's completely different now right um, the idea of Sunday school which was very robust at one time in fact people would do attendance in Sunday school you were connected to your Sunday school right that doesn't happen we have you know we have classes now and then on Sunday uh, we, uh, the evening services are largely gone midweek stuff now is more small groups or like our church house, having house churches right um, I, about a number of years ago I was talking with my boss who's a Christian he was telling me this story we were talking actually about this issue and he said you know uh, his brother-in-law started a church and he said you gotta understand things are different now as brother-in-law would say is you know what defines a regular tender often times is somebody that maybe shows up one or two times a month to church and I kind of scoffed at that oh that's terrible you know you should be going to church more right because you know I went to church regularly I went to a lot of things um if you remember, if you ever seen the Dana Carvey's um stand up on the church lady I've heard him describe he, he, that church lady character <coughs> was kind of char- was made up on people like me who was going to scoff at somebody not showing up at church um, in fact I heard him describe this in an interview he said his family wouldn't go to church very, all the time, and so when they would uh, when they would show up at church, as he described it, it was like, "Oh, here come the carveys, and he would feel that judgment, right, because they weren't there every Sunday. James Emory White, who is the senior pastor. Um, of uh, uh, Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's also the former president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He's written a number of books about church and culture. Uh, and he's authored a recent book about this in-person attendance. And, he, and the book is um, Hybrid Church, Rethinking the Church in the Post-Christian Digital Age. He makes the case that prior to the pandemic, your online presence as a church was kind of in support of your in-person meeting. He says it's reversed now. It's all about online presence, and your in-person supports it. So you can disagree with it or not, but it is, it just shows that life changes. Tradition changes, and the question we have to ask ourselves, though, what's the point from a biblical standpoint? You know, is it wrong from a biblical standpoint or not? You know, are they just different ways of applying scripture? When I read the words, encourage one another, I realize that I do not need to be in someone's presence to encourage them. It's more about connection. Something occurred to me. Oh, Tim's here. Tim and Anna's dedication. Something was said that caught my attention. Um, you know, it was something that Seth said. He was talking about them. He was talking about your, your daughter. Your daughter, right? Or son? I know. I, I, I'm sorry. I, son, child. Um, and he's saying that how they didn't have a problem with other people like taking their child and they felt comfortable with other people raising their kid and I when I think about church that's the mental image I have it's about church family it's about connecting and do we have to be around each other all the time to connect we don't and actually in the digital world we can stay in contact with each other much easier now than we ever were there was a time where you can only connect through writing letters and I was always terrible at that like I had friends that I have lost which I knew years ago that would write me letters and I would never write them back because I just I was I was a terrible friend and you know now I stay in touch with my siblings virtually by text you know that's we are on a group text and we stay in touch and we keep and we can stay connected even though we're not in each other's presence. Um, <clears throat> so what is it uh, that we're looking at here? The the key is what I call the heart. Jesus called to the crowd and, and, and to him, and he said, "Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of the mouth which makes him unclean." In this last section, we see Jesus making a pronouncement that this it is not what goes into a person that makes him unclean, but what, what but <clears throat> unclean, which goes against all the purity restrictions of the time about what food they could and could not eat. And then he kind of talks about the uh, the the Pharisees as being blind guides. Jesus makes a statement dismissing the relevance of the Pharisees. This is why I don't think that Jesus directly addressed their objection to the disciples not washing their hands. Jesus was not going to waste his time and that's an awful thing to say about jesus but it's almost like he wasn't going to waste his time with people that were were just purposely blinding themselves his focus was on the people and more importantly his focus was on the disciples because that's where it leads into the last section where he kind of sums everything up and he did that for them because it was important for them in this last section he says this Uh, peter says explain the parable which it wasn't a parable but i thought that was kind of interesting are you still so dull jesus asks them do you see whatever enters the mouth goes to the stomach and then out of the body? Um, uh, what the thing, what, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These make a man unclean, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean, but eating an unwashed hand doesn't make him unclean. You see the eating in the washed hands, the f- interesting thing is that's the easier part. If you just tell me don't eat stuff or always wash my hands. That's easier, but be nice to everyone, love everyone. Oh my gosh, why don't you just kill me now, right? Because I don't want to have to be nice and love everybody because there's lots, a lot of you are not lovable. I'm sorry, no, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, I love you all, I really do. Uh, But that is very, very, very hard. Um, And so uh, there are a couple of things that come out of this, I think that, um, hold on, the focus is the heart. Um, and I know I said the heart is the key now I'm going to say the focus (laughs) Um, the heart is the key or I should say is the focus is the heart what comes out of the uh, uh, comes to mind here are like the two greatest commandments in my mind Um, uh, Matthew says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is love your neighbor as yourself all the law and prophets on these two commandments. So if you're really looking at how you have to base your life, it's on these two things because that's the whole basis for the whole Bible is right there. Um, it is the heart issue. What, with, with everything we do, we should always be asking, what is your motivation? We should be asking, am I doing this because I love God and love others? Or am I doing this because I love myself? Unfortunately, a lot of what we do is on that last one. Because we love ourselves more than we love other people, and we love God. And the second thing is, stop missing the point. Um, <clears throat> this is common theme throughout Jesus' ministry. We see it in this discussion of working on the Sabbath and about oaths. We also see it in Matthew twenty three twenty three. What are you teachers, what are you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint and doll and come in, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so you know, I always point out that he didn't tell them what they were doing was was wrong. It's just that you're focused just on that one thing. You're focused on the easy stuff. I can pull out a measuring cup and decide, you know, and do a tenth of everything, but again when somebody's not being nice to me and then turn to them and say, I want to still bless you, that's a lot harder, right? Um, and this actually, they believe that that passage, when he said that, was had this passage in Micah in mind. It says, "'Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul?' He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So it's not all these things that sometimes we can look and go, I need to do these things. No, you need to love God. You must uh, uh, act justly and love mercy. We know that the Mishnah was the result of the religious experts explaining how to follow the law. The problem is that over time, the references... Are no longer relevant, or people forget why they do such things, which is what Tevius says in the song. I tell you why. I don't know why why we do these things. What we need to do is always remind ourselves to go back to the original to ensure that what we are doing is still consistent with Scripture. And I'm concluding in my conclusion. And so the, the worship team wants to uh, make their way to the front. This kind of brings us to that last question: Should tradition be followed at all? So I'm going to give you the lawyer response. It depends. It's always a favorite response of us. It always depends on the situation. Often tradition starts from a good idea. People do things because they think this is a good thing. Oh, that is a good idea. Um, as Protestants, we're critical of the rituals that we see in the Roman Catholic Church. To many of us, all those rituals seem superfluous or wrong. However, I think that there are many things that were started out from a good idea but may have lost their meaning over time. As evangelicals, we are also critical of the more formal traditions, questioning the relevance of some things they do, emphasize emphasize that we only focus on the essentials, the important things. I mean, look at our service. Our service is actually rather simple compared to even other more formal traditions who have more of a liturgical and more things that go on. However, we can fall prey to the same problem. Um, over time, as I illustrated above, as time progresses, our, our simply or essentially focused traditions become just that, and they lose their meaning um, or no longer have the impact they once had. Um, you know, I used to be more obnoxious with my opinions. For instance, I would attend a Catholic service and think and quip oh, that was a great exercise, all that sitting down, standing up, kneeling, right? I've grown since to be more appreciative, more respectful um, of various traditions and work harder to see the relevance and try to understand, well, why do people do that? You know, what is the importance of that? Because that's really what we should be asking is, even with our own traditions, why do we do these traditions? Um, Sorry, my phone decides to act up. Um, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Wrong button. Um, I forgot to turn the the, the, the watch off. Um, I want to sum it up here. So um, <clears throat> there's, there's three things that are, I guess, three takeaways. Um, tradition is not all bad. As I mentioned, it, um, it holds society together. Second is scripture is always primary. If something is not consistent with scripture, we should not do it. And the last thing is focus on the key points of scripture. We should always be reflecting back on scripture um, and to ensure that we are doing uh, what we are doing is consistent with what God wants us to be, that's something we should always be doing, we should always be reflecting on, is this consistent, is this showing love for God and showing love for others because I think there are things that you did today that may be fine that you do later that you go, wait a minute I don't think this is, this is achieving that purpose and then you need to let those go thank you and uh, I will um, that is all I have for now